I made the mistake a couple of years ago, and I was speaking to somebody put me in touch with one of their friends who lost their child. And I said, I know how you feel. He said, no, you don't. You don't. You don't know how I feel. I don't know what your relationship was like with your son. I don't know what kind of bond you had. And, then my, and you know, he was right. He was right. And, I, I, and I'll never say that again. I'll never say I know how you feel because you don't. Thank you so much for joining me on here. And as I'm sure a lot of people that already know you, you know, found you in a similar path with your discussion on TED Talks primarily first. I could be mistaken there, but it's without me having to say how powerful of a story it is of what you've gone through with your son and your life. So I would love to start off with your story and have it come out of your mouth as opposed to me. So wherever you'd normally start, I would like to start. Please go ahead and thank you. Sure. Yeah. My story begins back in July of 2015. My only son, my only child and his close friend were last seen leaving the Jupiter Inlet on a 19-foot fishing boat. Uh, There was some really bad storms uh, carrying heavy rains and winds of 40 miles an hour. And after several attempts to reach the boys via their cell phones, um, we reached out to the Coast Guard and one of the largest and most extensive searches in the history of the Coast Guard ensued. Neither of the boys were ever found, and exactly what happened at sea that day uh, still remains unclear. So that's been something that I've been you know, dealing with for the last six and a half years, and so happy to be here in an effort to tell my story that hopefully even just maybe one word, one sentence might help other people to heal. Over the past six and a half years, I've talked to so many people, people that have lost children and not lost children and shared my story with them and they'd share their story with me. And over the years, I just found that for some reason, my story would just, and the way I, the way I would just talk to people would be helpful. Um, and, th- you know, I've been pretty lucky to start a couple businesses. I've been fairly successful, but there's nothing that compares to somebody saying, thank you, you've helped me in a way that's helped them heal. Um, So about a year ago, I quit uh, my six-figure job as VP sales for a global technology company in an effort to pursue what I feel God has on my heart. And in short, that's um, empowering mostly men who are struggling with grief. There's so many things I would want to unpack there, but why do you find men? Is it because you're you're a man yourself or you think it's a topic that most men maybe, you know, keep within? It's a great question. You know, first of all, mostly, you know, men, especially men who have lost children, you know, as a, as a culture, um, we have a tendency to flock around the moms, which I, I totally get. And that makes perfect sense to me. And, you know, generally dad wants to be strong for his kids and his wife. And what I found through talking to so many men is that the last person they really want to open up with is their wife. Um, and they leave it you know, they wind up burying the pain. They push it down. There's a lot of guys just go right back into work uh, or they'll focus on something completely different. And unfortunately, when you do that, you know, I kind of compare it to trying to hold a, a beach ball underwater. I mean, you could do it, you know, and you could do it for a while, but eventually it's going to find its way out to the surface. And the harder and further you push it down, the harder and faster it comes up. And sometimes it just hits you right in the face, um, and most men, I feel like they just don't know how to express it. 
you know, how to express themselves. And I think just, you know, through talking and, you know, some, some helpful advice on things they can actually do, they find, you know, some way to at least take that first step with eventually leads to the next and the next from there. Guys just have a tendency, I think, to just to turn away from it as opposed to actually opening up and being vulnerable and feeling the pain. And in my talk, you know, I even said in my TED talk, I said, you know, and it's still true to this day, the, the only way that I was truly able to begin to heal from indescribable amounts of pain was to, to begin to feel the pain, you know, to, to stop running from it, to acknowledge it and sometimes even to sit in it. And over time, I started to become open to the memories and can more connected to the reminders as opposed to, you know, just pushing them away. That is definitely a common theme that I've, you know, I've experienced on my own and from the, the people that I have spoken to and just what I've read and all that in regards to feeling the pain and, and leaving yourself in it. And obviously that does relate to what you said about men for whatever reason, the masculinity tends to lead to holding things in, which then, as you mentioned, the beach ball will pop up and lead to so many other things that, whether physically or mentally. So what was it for you that gave you that awareness to feel your emotions? Were you like one of the many men and many people in this world that just hold it in? And if so, was it someone you spoke to? What led you to that kind of uh, aha moment? Definitely started out, you know, at first I, I really had no idea, you know, I mean, there's there's no training or you know, preparation for, for something like this. So I really had no idea what I was supposed to do and came to a point where I eventually actually, I Googled how to grieve and the well-known model referred to as the five stages of grief has dominated searches around this topic for decades. When I saw, you know, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, for me, I almost felt like I was doing something wrong because I didn't experience grief like that at all. So I thought I, I really had no idea what I should do. You know, I did, I did also go and, you know, see counseling, um, of course, you know, talk therapy. I did EMDR therapy and, and none of that, I mean, although it was helpful, none of that really took away the pain. Um, you know, and I don't think the pain will ever fully go away. There's, I mean, there's, there's days all the time where I find myself, you know, crying because I miss my son, you know, and uh, that I don't think that will ever, ever go away. But I think, you know, one of the biggest things for me was in terms of actually healing from that was, was in one of those moments when I was crying on the floor and the ball curled up in a dark room and, you know, call it an apparition, call it, you know, I look back at this and I wonder, you know, did I really see what I saw? Um, but I definitely heard my son and, and I know with absolute confidence and conviction that my son would not want me to live that way. You know, where uh, my, my brother, uh, my oldest brother, he works for Tony Robbins. He's worked there for about 15 years. He's um, one of the head of, of coaching, uh, coaching sales. And, you know, I've always worn like bracelets that say live with passion. And with Perry on the way, when I would take Perry to school every day, I would listen to this, this podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with JLD and Entrepreneur on Fire. Yeah. Um, so, just, Lee Dumas, so, right? And I, we'd, we'd listen to that, on that. Yeah. On the way to school. And uh, I just wanted him to know that, you know, to do what you love, you know, find something you love and do that because, you know, the money will eventually come. So, you know, I, I saw Perry and he just said, dad, get up. And it, the way that he said it was almost like, 
like, come on, dad, enough, like, like enough, you know, enough. He's like, just, just get up and go live with passion. Like he always told me to do, and I'll see you when you get here, you know? And, you know, when, when something like that, you know, occurs with, you know, your, your child, I couldn't help but feel tremendous amounts of guilt and shame and worthlessness, you know, that I couldn't do more to protect him. But in looking back, you know, I'm not sure what I would have been able to do in that situation to actually stop it from happening. But him telling me that let me realize that I just needed to give myself permission to feel, to be okay again, you know, because that for me, that was what I was searching for, just to know that life would be okay again. And, you know, it's not that Perry gave me permission. It's that he showed me that I needed to give myself permission, you know? And when I did that, I actually, I actually started taking sticky notes on, I used post-it notes and I would write on things like, I give myself permission to heal. And I'd stick them in my car and under my refrigerator and my bathroom mirror. And I would look at them every day. And I would just knew that, that that was, what I needed to get better was to just give myself permission that that it was okay, that it was it, that I didn't need to feel so much guilt and shame and worthlessness and all the other things that come along with what I went through. So that that was definitely part of it, and and also you know my I remarried about three years ago, and you know my wife you know at first I really didn't let her in a lot because you know you think like. You know, she doesn't have any kids um, and we don't have any kids together. So, you know, it was my hallucination that she wouldn't be able to truly understand how I felt about it. But then one year, uh, this one past year, really, it would have been Perry's 21st birthday. And I decided to do something different. And she and I went to a local restaurant and we toasted my son and, and I started crying, you know, a lot and you know, she's amazing because she did what a lot of people should do, I think, when somebody's grieving is you don't try to fix it, you know, don't try to pull you out of it. Just be there, you know, and she would just she just sat there with me, cried with me, held my hand. And, you know, I came back feeling like, you know, an extreme weight had been lifted. And, and I realized that, you know, sharing with other people and letting other people in is a lot more helpful than you think. You know, I think it was you know, I'm, I, I was guess I was scared, I guess, to let her see me, you know, ugly cry, you know, so to speak, to really, to really let it out, you know. Um, but really, it, the act, the, the reverse happened is that, you know, I found, I found tremendous amounts of healing. And now it's just, it's even so much easier for me to talk to her about it and let her in. So I think, you know, for most men, they should try something new. You know, let let people, those who love you, especially if if somebody, if somebody is trying to ask you to spend that 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 milestone day, whether it's a birthday or the date of the death, you know, and you want to push them away and you want to go and do it by yourself, maybe for a period of time that's okay, but I I would suggest that trying trying letting somebody who's you know loves you and is wants to be there for you to let them in because you'll find a, a tremendous amount of healing from it. At least I did. That's amazing about letting people in. I feel like even myself, you know, have experiencing death so intimately 
for a while, I never knew. I was like, well, I don't know what to say to this person. And then at some point, I, I feel like I, I couldn't agree more as to what you said. I just, no matter what the problem, whether it's grief, loss, or whatever we're going through, just just be there for them. So I'm the type of guy, like, I'll put my hand on your shoulder, and that's my expression for I'm here. I don't have to say anything because I don't know if you want me to say anything. So I think it's actually part of not the responsibility. That's the wrong word, but it, it helps if the person who's grieving to express that openness. And I think that'll help allow people to recognize it's a little bit of a signal to maybe let you in, but especially trying new things is because if something's not working, you, you got to try something else. And I, I wanted to take the second to introduce something that I've heard you speak about and I, the grief continuum. And I, I feel like, I hope I'm understanding this correctly, but it relates to what you just said in regards to her. You didn't know if you were doing things right, especially when you related it to the five stages of grief, how it was so you know, chronological and you didn't feel that way. And that was a big lesson for me in particular that A, there's no right way to grieve and B, everyone starts at a different place. And am I understanding your continuum correctly that maybe the end goal is the same, but where we start on that graph, if you will, could be anywhere? Definitely, definitely. You know, that's one of the points that I was trying to make is that grief doesn't always start at denial, nor does it end at acceptance. You know, there are potential gifts that can be found in grief um, that that you may not even see or realize or recognize. And I think for me, the word acceptance, just, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but that that sounds almost like I don't know, a couple levels below resignation, you know, it's just like there, there, there's more. And I think one of the biggest things for me is, you know, finding a purpose and a meaning, you know, through going what I've gone through and now being able to help, you know, other men and, and, and women, but my heart is just to help men is really a gift and something that I never really knew I even possessed. You know, I never knew. I mean, I've been, I always, my professional identity really was always Phil Cohen, VP sales. You know, I was, I'm a sales, I like to run sales teams. I'm mostly for SaaS startup companies and, you know, I'm really, really good at it. And that's the way that I've identified myself throughout the years. And to kind of shift that change to, I empower men struggling with grief. It took, you know, it took a moment for me to, to go through that. But, you know, with the grief continuum, yes, I, I don't think you start at one place, that we all start at the same place and that we all graduate through the same stages to eventually arrive at the same result, like school. You know, it's just, it doesn't work that way, you know. And although, you know, the five stages of grief, I'm sure, has helped a lot of people. I'm not saying that it's wrong or that you shouldn't shouldn't pay attention to it. I'm sure a lot of people have found healing from it. But there there is no one-size-fits-all model for grief, you know, and you might experience one stage of grief. You might experience two. You might experience 12, you know, and 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 if you do, it doesn't mean that you're grieving wrong, you know, and, and it, I figured you, know, you could you could find yourself finding gifts way past acceptance and easily, you know, see something or hear something that reminds you of that person and find yourself in tears the same day. And again, it doesn't mean that you're grieving wrong, that you've, oh, I thought I've hit acceptance, you know, like I'm not, I'm not supposed to be crying now because I reached acceptance. That's just, that, that to me, that it doesn't work that way. And, and, and there is no right or wrong way. So instead of it being a step-by-step step to eventually reach a certain place, I look at it more like a continuum that we move back and forth throughout, you know, throughout the journey of grief. There really is no certain beginning or certain ending. Yeah, would you agree that grief is kind of like it's a living organism? You, you kind of hit the nail on that earlier that, you know, you can't 
well, you shouldn't try to fix it because it's kind of with you, right? It's like, it's kind of an, an evolving thing that we kind of grow around as opposed to, or grow with perhaps. I don't know the right terminology for that, but it's definitely something that is hard to figure out if you're doing it right. And like, I think we're figuring out that there's no right way to do it, but there is progress to be had. And clearly you've had a tremendous amount of progress. So do you contribute it to that? Ex- when you said resignation, did you mean, is that like similar like letting go? Is that, is that, am I understanding that correctly? Or what did you mean by resignation exactly? I mean, I don't know. I feel like to say I've reached acceptance, like it just, I don't know. It just doesn't feel like enough. It feels final for something that's going to stay with us. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just the word for some reason. I don't know. I mean, you know, I think everybody needs that time to grieve, like, and that could take you, you know, months. It could take you years, you know, but there, it's not like some of the, some of the things that I like to talk about, it might be too, too soon. I think, you know, for some people, let's say that have just experienced tremendous loss because you really, you need to go through that period, whatever that looks like for you. But eventually, you know, just like my son, Perry, I'm sure the person that loves you the most that you're grieving would also tell you to get up. You know, no, that person would not want to see you in a dark room, curled up in a ball. They want to see you live your life. Have you ever heard about the buffaloes and the cow metaphor? No, I would love to hear it. Well, there's like, you know, all of us experience storms, right? I mean, that, that's, that's just, it, it, there's no way we're making it out of this life unscathed in some way. And really the only choice that we have is, is how we respond to those storms. And one of my one of my mentors, a guy named Rory Vaden, helped me understand this by sharing a story about where he grew up um, near the Rocky Mountains in Colorado. And Colorado is one of the only places in the world where both buffaloes and cows can coexist. And I really think that there's like a fantastic lesson that can be learned about how each of these creatures responds to storms. So. When the storms come over the Rockies, they almost always brew from the west and they roll towards the east. And cows can sense the storm coming. And so what they do is they begin to run east to get away from the storm. The only problem is that if you know anything about cows, they're not very fast. So the storm catches up to them pretty quickly. And without knowing any better, the cows continue to try and outrun the storm. But instead of outrunning it, they run with it. And that maximizes the amount of time and pain and frustration that that he experienced from the storm. And it's been my experience that, you know, humans do the very same thing. You know, we spend so much of our lives trying to avoid the inevitable trials and tragedies and transitions that come along with difficult circumstances. But what buffaloes do is, is quite unique to the animal kingdom. Buffaloes wait for the storm to cross over the crest of the mountaintop, and as the storm rolls over the ridge, they turn and they charge directly into the storm. They run at the storm. And by running at the storm, they run right through it, minimizing the amount of pain, time, and frustration that they experience from the storm. But notice that it's the same storm, you know? And I think it's just an excellent metaphor for all of us because although we're all in different places in life. You know, we all have storms. <laughs> that is fantastic. Did you, I, <laughs> is that the original? You've heard this by someone or did you come up with that? Because I don't know how I never heard that. Yeah, yeah, no. It, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of them that, I, that I've come across over the years. I, I heard it from Rory Vaden. You know, he's a best-selling author. He has a community called the Brand Builders Group and it helps people kind of 
figure out what they are, what they want to do, how to get their message out there. Um, and that's, I originally heard it from him. And there's uh, another one that's similar about running towards the roar. I don't know if you've ever heard like... No, I feel like I should be taking notes here. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me to stop if I'm talking No, much, I'm good. This is great. Okay. I may not know this one as as well, but it's something like, you know, male and female lions, the male lions are basically the lazy ones, right? They kind of just sit down and sleep and, and eat. And the female ones are, are the hunters. Um, but when, when animals go to, let's say, like, a, you know, a body of water... What they'll do is the female lions will wait on the other side of where the actual male lion roar will come from purposefully so that when they come behind them and they let out this gigantic roar, they will run away from the roar and run directly into the trap, essentially, running right towards the female lions that will attack and then eventually kill them. And so the metaphor of, of you know running, running towards the roar and like running towards the storm is something that I think that, you know, a lot of people, they could just take away a certain lesson from that, you know, that, but it's only at a certain time, you know, like you can't, you can't run towards the storm or, you know, run towards the roar right away. Yeah, I think you really need to, you need to feel that pain first, you know? Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There's so many people don't do it for what I'm taking from it. I mean, I, I feel like within all those stories, it's kind of, Hey, there's no right way to do it. Like you said, the the buffalo and the cow are kind of responding in two different ways. And from that, it's all about how we respond. Because I feel like so many times it's so easy to get caught up in what's happening. And I feel like there's an importance to realizing that even though whatever the trauma is or whatever you're going through feels as if you're one with that and it's so it's just smothering you, I do believe there is a duality to both of them that you can be separated from it in some way, if that makes sense, where Based on how you respond, you don't have to dwell on it too much. And it's going to affect you, and there's no way of running from how it's going to feel. But you do have a choice on how you respond. And I think that's such a, a big lesson of what you've gone through and how you're kind of handling it. And from what you've gone through, I, I lost my father, and I don't have children. But And I'm not putting a hierarchy on, on death and losing someone, but losing a child, I can't fathom or ever pretend to comprehend. And I've only seen it from my grandmother when my dad died seeing that type of emotion come from it, it was just different. And so in respect to what you went through and backwards of feeling the different emotions in a different chronological order, do you see, even though you related to not being like school and there's like kind of a graduation, did you see any sort of graduation with those emotions? Because there's a, there's a book I'm reading now by Dr. Hawkins. I'm not sure if you read it um, called Letting Go. I've mentioned it prior in another episode, but he kind of deduces from every emotion, regardless of the order it comes, if you start with whatever might be uh, anger, from anger, once you feel and absorb yourself within anger, it might take you to another emotion. It's kind of like dissecting each emotion, graduating to the next emotion, regardless of the order. Did you find that at all with, with what you went through, whatever emotion you felt first? Yes, there was definitely different emotions at different times, you know? And there was, you know, one of the other things that kind of threw me off about, you know, the, the whole five stages thing was, so there was a, a period of time in, where I experienced revenge. Then that's not something that's really covered in the five stages, you know? Now you might think, some people might say that's, you know, a, a phase of anger, potentially. But yeah, I went through, I definitely went through different stages for sure and and probably experienced some of you know definitely experienced some of the ones that are you know in the five stages but to me feeling like you know complete worthlessness and shame you know 
that's not the same thing as for me as just depression. You know, I think it's almost like just a, a different category, if you will. But yes, and, and there were there were times because because of this played out on the national news for seven days. I mean, that's how long the search lasted. So it was basically on on national news, especially on the East Coast, every day and social media. And then when I went back out in the public eye, so to speak, you know, I saw people like they would look at me and I know that they were saying, oh, you know, that's that's Perry's dad, you know, the kid that was lost at sea. And I remember thinking like, what's a man who lost his son at sea supposed to look like? You know, like, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And it, and it, it took me, it took me a while to even feel okay to smile, you know, to, to have people see me smiling. Because so many people would say to me, I don't even know how you're walking around right now. I don't even know how you're living. How are you doing all this? There's a saying, I think, you know, where focus goes, energy flows. You know, I'm not sure. I think maybe Tony Robbins may have coined it. I've heard it a couple of times. But, you know, for just like, you know, it's, it's when the sun's out, right? It covers a you know, huge amount of the earth. And you can stand almost anywhere under it, under it and feel like you know, you're being wrapped in a warm blanket. You know, yet when you take a magnifying glass and focus its energy in one small area, you can create fire. And I believe that the same is true of the thoughts that we choose to focus on. One of the biggest things right afterwards was I found myself asking why, you know, that would be like, you know, why me? You know, that question, why me? is, And, and there's nothing wrong with that question. And in fact, for a season, I think it's, I believe that it's one that it's worth exploring. The brain is a servo mechanism, so if we ask it a question, even subconsciously, it's going to search for and provide the answers. I think you know, the trick is asking the right questions that will ultimately serve you and those around you. So while why is a reasonable question, and one that I found myself asking for years, it wasn't until I switched the question from why to what that things began to change for me. So when tragedy strikes... You know, one of the three T's, I call them tragedies, trials, or major transitions. As humans, we really find out what we're really made of when we start to ask ourselves, okay, you know, what am I going to do about it now? You know, and that's, that's when really things started to help change for me is what can I do with what I've learned through this process? You're doing it now, seems like. You mentioned there's a, you know, grief comes with gifts. That's what that's, I'm sure you've realized already. You don't need me to say that. You're sharing the gift with the world right now. So I, I wanted to ask, because I'm seeing some consistencies. You mentioned the post-it notes and you know the, the power of your thoughts. How much do you contribute your healing and, and what you're doing today in regards to, I want to say those affirmations or those the auto-suggestion or whatever you want to call it, but specifically those post-it notes, you know, you're, you're, you're affirming this, that, and the other. Did you notice a change with that? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because it, again, it really, it would come down to what we choose to focus on, you know, what, what we're thinking about. I mean, it's so, it would have been, it's so easy sometimes when some, something horrible happens for you to sit back in your recliner and let this movie play, right, of, of all the what-ifs and how you could have maybe made something different. But, you know, it's, it, it's a, that's a choice, right? That's a choice, what you choose to focus on. And the fact is, it's, I choose to focus on the fact that, number one, I was blessed to even have a child to begin with. And, you know, there's so many people that would give anything to be able to have a child and have never been able to have one. And I focus on the, you know, the amazing 14 and a half years that I did get to spend with him, you know, and all those amazing memories that that we did get to create together. 
And, you know, I'm Christian by faith, so I, I, I do believe that, you know, I will see him again. You know, and I and I think about the work that I'm doing now, and I, and I want him to be proud, you know, of his dad, and 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 know that I'm, you know, doing something ultimately that brings honor to him and to me, and to know that, you know, that I'm making him proud, you know, in some small way. I feel he's helps me get through it. But yes, you know, I and I guess maybe I'm lucky. I I, I don't know. I've never asked. I've never asked other people, you know, specifically. You know, do you think your child wants to see you, like, you know, in so much pain? But the fact is that they, you know, I, I know, like, Perry, Perry's natural state was just a state of laughter and fun. Like, he was just such a great kid. So I know he doesn't want me to be living that way. So the way that I was, especially for years afterwards. So, you know, it's just for me, as I just tried to, to focus on on all the positive things. And I guess, yeah, it does come along with some affirmations. Yeah. It seems like you found your why. And how we already a little illustrated how important that is in life in general. Yeah. And I and you kind of you kind of brought up a question that I was thinking about asking was for you, you're saying, you know, you were lucky, blessed, however you want to say. Cause I, I feel a similar aspect with my father. I, I know my dad wouldn't want to see any of us, my mom, my sisters, you know, live a life of misery and depression and this and that. So that was definitely a helpful driving force of a why. But what about those people? This is rhetorical, or if you have any thoughts on it, but what about the people that don't, that aren't, like you said, aren't confident in that? Because there's definitely those people that can't be easy to find a why. And for me, I, like I'm blessed in the same way you just said, I'm, I'm, I am able to find a why. If I dig deep and I decide that I want to get out of it, I can find a why and I have my why. But there are people that out there that can't find a why. And I feel like a, without a why, you have no reason to even want to get better or get better no matter what the situation is. So I wonder what is a great method to find a why. I don't know. Is it just sitting there and just thinking? Is it, I don't think there's a right way to do it, you know, back to the scratch, but like, but there's gotta be some methods or. Yeah. Well, there's definitely going to be, I would say, if I had to guess about 10% of the people that I've speak to or I come in contact with would say something along the lines of, Phil, listen, I don't care what you have to say, regardless of anything you have to say or share with me, I lost the most precious person in my life. My life is over. And there are a percentage of people out there, I think, that may never find a why or may never even find a way to heal. So if people ask, you know, okay, so what are the what do you think are the top three things or the top, you know, couple of things people do can do to heal? The first for me, and first and foremost, above anything else, is it's a decision, right? Like you you have to decide that you you almost like you know, you might not have the end in mind, but you have to decide that healing is something I want to pursue, you know, and what, whatever that looks like for you, you know, might be different than it looks like for me. But at least you have to pursue, at least know that, yes, healing is, is something that I do want to pursue. And I think if you don't make that decision to actually say, yes, I do want to pursue healing, then there's going to be no program or guru or book or any of that that's going to help because you've already made that decision, you know? And I think, I think about probably about 80% of the people are, were, were like how I was, which is, all right, you know, uh, I'm still living, you know, I'm uh, still holding down a job, but, you know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with any of this. Sometimes I feel like there's something in there that I know I'm supposed to be doing, but I didn't know what it was for years. Like, I didn't even know what it was. And I found that through just talking to other people, you know, just one-on-one, -on -one, not trying to, not even thinking about like 
trying to walk them through healing or walk them through a process or anything like that. It was just empathy, you know, it was just listening and trying to just talk to them. And then probably about, you know, the other 10% are people I feel like is the, the group I'm about to head into, which is, you know, take what's happened and change the world, you know, try to, you know, make a positive from it, do something good, help other people. You know, I don't know if there's a, there's a, an old Chinese tale about, if you heard about the, the woman with the magical mustard seed. I haven't heard of mustard seed. I heard about a Chinese tale on a horse. So I don't think that's the same one. So, I mean, I get this the whole way, right? But essentially, there's, there was a woman who lost her only son and she went to, you know, a sage and said, you know, what magical potions or, you know, what magic can you help me to heal? And he said, well, I want you to go and find a mustard seed from a home that has never known sorrow. So she set out on her way and she saw a mansion, this big, beautiful mansion. And she went and she knocked on the door and she said, you know, somebody opened the door and she said, I'm in desperate need of a mustard seed from a home that has never known sorrow. Is this such a place? And they said, you're in the wrong place. You don't know, this home has definitely known sorrow. Here's exactly what happened. And she said, well, I can help you with that. You know, this is something that I've been through and here's, here's how I can help you. And then she went to the next place and the next place, and she never found she never found the home with no sorrow. But she was able to help so many people in her in her journey to find that magical mustard seed that eventually she forgot about it. You know, and I think that's like I feel like I'm on a similar path in a way. It's just just trying to help people, and through trying to help other people, it's really helped me heal. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's what I was going to kind of allude to after this. I was curious if you have any maintenance, if you will. You know, you're, you're you're a little further down the path of you know the grief process, but what's keeping you going today? You know what I mean? Like you're at a different stage now. So I just wonder if there's things you're doing today that, you know, kind of continue on your journey of healing. And is that what you're discussing in regards to your path today and what you're doing every day? Yeah, I mean, some of the bigger things for me was, you know, obviously helping other people. You know, that's that's one of the biggest things for me that helps me get through this is is just to edify others in some way. And also, you know, cultivating community. You know, I think if there's anybody, you know, out there that's listening and figuring out, well, what can I do? The first is, you know, you have to decide that this is okay. This is something I want to pursue. And then don't do it alone, you know? Just like, you know, oak trees are often planted near one another, right, in bunches. And as they grow and mature, their, their root systems become intertwined, which, which provides the entire grove of trees with that extra strength. So when those storms come, you know, the trees, they're interconnected below the ground, then they hold sturdy despite the strong winds. And so if, if one of the oak trees lacks nutrients, it can actually draw on the roots of the other. Thus, it remains healthy and strong throughout the worst weather conditions. And I believe that, you know, God designed us to be similar, to be connected with safe, open, vulnerable, loyal friends who'll stick together closer than a brother or sister during those tough times. However, you know, those relationships don't happen by default a lot of the times, really only by design, and they require intentionality and time to forge. But the sacrifice is well worth it in the end. You know, taking the time to also, like we mentioned, we touched on to feel the pain. You know, most people, when they encounter dramatic loss or painful experiences, like we discussed, they'll run from the pain. And the fact is, pain can be terrifying. It's messy. It sneaks up on you. And it could be crippling. But it can't kill you. So, you know, most of us are fearful of stepping into the pain and letting go of our, letting our, 
our, our hearts go and feel the full weight of it because it makes us feel too exposed and vulnerable. And like I said, I found that to be especially true of men. And, you know, even like I said in my TED Talk, unfortunately, I think as men, we're basically brainwashed to believe that, you know, real men don't cry. You know, we're just supposed to suck it up and tough it out. But, you know, that strategy doesn't work with grief. So while most people push the pain down or box it up and try to carry on as though it doesn't exist, but unfortunately by doing so, they never actually come to a place of, of healing. It is interesting how you said pain can't kill you. And the ironic part is that we're avoiding that so much. The pain might not kill you, but holding in that, keeping that beach ball underwater and holding that pain in, that's what's going to kill you. So we're running from something that's going to heal that's us it. and hanging on to something that's going to literally end up killing you, God forbid. But I mean, it's a whole nother podcast and conversation, but holding that shit in eventually manifests into some kind of physical reality that is not going to be good for you. And this might be a, a loaded question, but how is your perspective on death changed? I don't know if you, I, I, don't, like when I, was, I never really thought about death prior to losing my dad. So it'd be a hard question for me to answer myself, but where are you with yeah. death in general today? Yeah, that's an interesting question, you know? Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot there. <laughs> I should have told you that one was coming, but it just no, came to me. No, it's okay. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. I like it. You know, I, you know, I guess one of the, if you call it a gift, is that like, I fear nothing now. You know, like the, the worst possible thing, even with some health professionals might consider losing a child to be one of, if not the worst thing that can happen to a human being. You know, so I feel like, I've been through that. Like I've been through, there is nothing that can hurt me now. Nothing that can hurt me as badly as that. So when it, for, with death for me, um, for me personally, like I, when I think about that, I guess, you know, I look forward to seeing my son again, you know? I mean, I, I know that may sound crazy, you know, but, but I have no fear of, of death for me personally. I, I'm more fearful of losing like, even like my wife or somebody that's really close to me, because after going through, you know, losing my son and now having my wife who's right next to me and thinking like, wow, if I had to go through something like that again now and not have her, that scares me, you know? That's something that that really scares me. And I quite honestly, you know, even, you know, starting to do what I'm doing now, I mean, I don't have a, a master's degree in psychology, you know, but I have a PhD in experience. I was going to say, a PhD, I've gone through that shit. That's often enough. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So for me personally, I have no fear of death whatsoever. And I think it's just, you know, thinking about, you know, losing the people that I love scares me a little bit because it's like, okay, here you are trying to talk and help people grieve. And now what are you going to do the next time or that something, the next person is really close to you? You know, how are you going to handle that, Phil? You know, I'm not sure. You know, honestly, I'm not. I, I'm not sure. <laughs> so that part scares me a little bit. That's the terrifying thing is where I, I feel like there is a freedom, a weird freedom of that experience happening because you've gone through it, and that's why I brought it up earlier. Losing, losing a child. I'm not no disrespect to anyone that's lost anyone else or me losing my dad, but losing a child, I, I don't think anything compares. So that that odd freedom of having gone through, you know, arguably one of the worst things you can go through should free you in a sense that I'm not scared of anything, but also having experienced such pain is also kind of scary of going through it again, even though you might be more well-equipped, but it just, that shit sucks. It just sucks. And so the, the, the thought, it makes you more, a little more prominent of going through it again, I feel like in some sense. You know, I, I just want to touch on what you said real quickly, just because 
recently, like a couple weeks ago, a journalist from the Wall Street Journal reached out to me and said, I'm writing, a, I'm writing a, a, a piece on grief. She had lost her father a couple of weeks ago and she was looking for advice and she didn't want the same old trite advice that you hear everywhere else. So I gave her the whole, you know, permission slips and giving yourself permission, and permission to heal. And she printed it. So, so it's out there right now. And in one of the comments online, somebody wrote something along the lines of losing a parent it doesn't even compare to losing a 14-year-old child. And you know what? In, in some ways I understand, but that's really not a fair thing to say, you know? Because when I spoke with her, I spoke with her before she wrote the column, you know? And you could tell, you could tell this is a woman who loved her father very, very much, you know? And just like I'm sure you did, and that's one of the reasons why you're doing this right now. So to say, like, you know, it's not the same, while that might be true that it's not you know, a natural progression, right? Like you expect to lose your parents before you go, right? That's expected, even though it's still hurtful. But the pain is still as deep, you know? And it still hurts. And it hurts. Even even I made the mistake a couple of years ago, and I was, I was speaking to somebody, put me in touch with one of their friends who lost their child. And I said, I know how you feel. He said, no, you don't. You don't. You don't know how I feel. He said, he said, I don't know what your relationship was like with your son. I don't know what kind of bond you had. And, then, and you know, he was right. He was right. And, I, I, and I'll never say that again. I'll never say I know how you feel because you don't. You don't know how somebody feels, you know. That pain of grieving the loss of a loved one is, it hurts, you know. It hurts. It hurts deep and it hurts in a way that it's really indescribable. I've tried to put it into words, but you really can't. You really can't put it into words. And so, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to anybody to, to say, you know, you know, you've lost a child, so it's worse, or, you know, it's one person's grief is not as as horrible as the other. So, you know, I don't know. I just felt the need to say something along those lines because yes, it's horrible, but grief is grief, you know. I don't think there are different levels. I mean, there might be, but you and I, you know, having lost different different people could have felt very, very similar things and have gone through very, very similar experiences, regardless of whether, you know, it was my son or your father. So I, I don't know if I made the point that I wanted to make, but <laughs> I just wanted to, I felt the need to throw that out there. You did. No, you did. You did. And that's why I was trying to be careful of saying the hierarchy of grief, because I don't believe in a hierarchy of grief. It's just like you said, there is a chronological difference. And I think it's more of, it just seems like more of a shock, you know, like you say, cause it doesn't go in the the natural way that a parent's always supposed to outlive their kid, but that's just not life. So you're right. Yeah. I think, I think grief is grief and we all deal with it a different way. And it's, it's not the right way to, I, I, I agree in not agreeing that it's not appropriate or there's no pain level. It's just pain. And whatever, whatever you feel, yeah. you feel. Yeah. And you mentioned something a little bit earlier about not knowing what to say, right? Like, you know, when people like, that's one thing I feel like people ask me is like, you know, what should I say to this person, you know? And because, you know, I've had people say the worst things and they don't, they don't mean to, but sometimes people just say the worst things. So I don't know, one of the best things I ever heard was somebody saying, I, you know, Phil, I'm so sorry for your loss. I know that there are no words. Just know that I love you and that I'm here for you. I think that's the perfect thing to say to somebody who's lost somebody, you know? Because even something as simple as, how are you? It's like, 
how, how the heck do you think I am? Like, right? Like, you don't want to say I'm doing horrible or you don't, you can't say I'm doing fine. So it's, it's really a difficult thing for people, I think, to, to, to ask and to talk about. But, you know, I think that one, I've, I've been considering writing out, like, here's all the things you shouldn't say, you know, <laughs> a couple of really good things to say to somebody who's grieving. It's actually, that is, that's funny how, yeah, it's probably, there's a longer list of things you shouldn't say than you should say. Because I'm going to say there's no should, yeah. but just letting someone know you're there. And I don't know if that's the East Coast Italian yeah. thing. I mean, I just put my hand on you, but that's kind of my nonverbal way of saying it. I think people get it. But uh, but being there and giving the other person the opportunity to maybe be hopefully be open enough to let you know what they need. Because I think we all need different things that I think that kind of gives everyone the best outlet. But I don't know. We're all still figuring it out at some point. But I know we can go on for hours and hours. I wanted to ask you, to how are you? Like, how are you today? How am I today? I think... I, like, not today, today, just, you know what I mean, in general. Like, how are you doing? Yeah, no, totally, totally. I'm great, man, really. I, I really am. I mean, I miss my son every day, you know? It's not, like, something that's ever going to go away. But, you know, I feel like, really, for the first time, I'm, like, on the path that I'm supposed to be on, you know? So I, I wake up excited every day knowing that I get to help other people. And to have these conversations like we're having today. And sometimes, you know, I love I love speaking, you know, going to speak to different types of groups and then just having people come up to you or send you a message saying, man, what you said about this was so great or what you said about that made so much sense to me. And thank you so much for sharing your story, you know. If you look at the spectrum, the, po- the possibilities of where I could be on that spectrum, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm doing really, really well. and. Uh, and I, I really, I feel like God's got me on a journey, you know, and I, I don't know, you know, I, I haven't listened to maybe enough, enough episodes to know what your, what your faith is or what your, what your audience's faith may be if there is, you know, a particular background. But, you know, even biblically, you know, God will say, I want you to go stand on the corner of this place. And then when you get there, I'll tell you what you're supposed to do next, you know, and that's kind of the journey that I feel like I'm on. I feel like, you know, the Lord's got me in a place where he's like, I want you to help other people going through grief. And by doing that is kind of like the woman with the magical mustard seed, you know, like I feel like I'm the feedback and the ability to help other people really has fed me so much that I think I'm doing good. It seems like you're doing good. I'm I'm definitely happy to follow your journey. I think you have a, a, a warmth about you. You're definitely charismatic, and it makes sense as to why people enjoy hearing you speak from a place of experience. And to allude to what you just said, you know, I, I've kind of uncovered myself more recently than than ever. But I feel like I've had in the back of my mind that you may have a you may know in a general idea where, where you want to be, but you don't necessarily have to know how to get there and you just kind of have the faith that you're going to figure it out. I feel like as like you're alluding to like, get to that, get to that corner. I don't know how I'm going to get there or what's going to happen after that, but just if you have some level of faith yeah. that it's going to come to you in some, whatever you want to call it, supernatural, subconscious, whatever way you want to explain it. I think that's part of it. I think it's a, a blend of decision and blended with faith as well. And it seems like you're, you're on your way. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, man. So I, I just want to thank you for being on here once more. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Um, honored to be seeing you on my computer screen, listening to you make such a profound speech. And then after that, the, the opportunity to actually speak to you uh, face-to-face, digitally, to digital, however you want to say it. Um, so I don't know if there's any last words you want to put out there or more information on what you got coming up or anything of the sort to plug you in, but uh, the floor is yours if there's anything to say. 
Yeah, I think I, mean, I think you you asked all the right questions. I feel like I've probably said a lot. I really <laughs> also just want to thank you really for the opportunity to you know to meet you and to speak to you and also hear a little bit more about your story and to you know just thank you for for sharing my story with your audience. I hope that you know if even one life can breathe easier because of it. I look at it as a huge win. So thank you so much. Of course, man. And uh, if there's anything ever I can do to help you, just I know we don't know each other well, but let me know. I'm, I'm over in Los Angeles, <laughs> always on the East Coast. So just I would love to stay in touch and uh, we'll, we'll definitely be in touch after this, all right? Awesome. Thank you, David. Thanks, Phil. I appreciate you, man. We'll talk soon. <laughs>